everybody. Welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories. I am, of course, your um, your wandering spalpeen, uh, your wandering labourer, uh, Paddy Holly, and I'm joined on this episode of Talking Stories by the lovely, by the fantastic, by the inimitable Miss Lenny Bickerdyke. How are you today, Lenny? I'm good. It's nice to be out of my house and I'm <laughs> finally somewhere <laughs> and talk to actual human beings of the world. So Yeah, yeah. Rather than the the um knitted doll you made of all of your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Just the cast of dolls on your couch. <laughs> Little voodoo dolls of everyone you know to talk to. And how was your day? <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. it was even strange getting on the train, getting off in town and like walking yeah. down the road and seeing people. And I got such a shock when I saw people in a restaurant yesterday when I was driving. I and I actually know. did like a double take and I was like, oh, what are they doing in there? Yeah, there was one day I went to the I went to the uh, to the chemist, to the pharmacy. And uh, I walked through town uh, a few weeks ago. I was like, this is dystopian. Everything is closed. It's black. There is a strong breeze blowing through and there's rain coming down. And then when I walked through the Grafton Street a couple of days ago, everyone was out. Yeah. It seemed like the whole country was out and about. And it was it was a little disconcerting. But I'm, I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. Oh, very in, much so. Immensely. It can't start soon enough, really, Christmas this year. And normally I'm a, I'm a fierce Scrooge. Yes, you are. Um, I can confirm for the listeners. <laughs> I'm like, you know, Christmas should be exactly one week long and then we should forget about it for the rest of the year. But this year I'm like, put the tree up, put the baubles up, uh, have the Baileys in the fridge, have it for breakfast, <laughs> lunch and dinner. Do you remember last year, as soon as we put um, the decorations up in the museum, I kept running screaming, it's Christmas, <laughs> up and down the corridors. <laughs> and I missed that this year. I was like, I've nowhere to scream. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to shout happy Christmas too. Oh, God. Well, I'm looking forward to it this year. Have you any Christmas traditions? But at home any any family centered christmas traditions no none we're not the most christmas orientated family like we put the tree up right my nan's usually like the kind of two weeks beforehand she'll only have the tree up for like three weeks and then it's coming down type situation right i don't think we have many traditions really burning the food on christmas day would be a tradition <laughs> that, that normally so if anyone was yeah. into burnt brussels sprouts and a, tu- a turkey that has shrunk by um <laughs> a, a, a large portion of its actual weight then you can come to my house for christmas <laughs> you see i like sprouts i like sprouts bit of butter nicely cooked but the family at christmas seems to boil the brussels sprouts into oblivion and you're just eating a green mush. <laughs> I think it's the texture. It's the texture. It's the texture, yeah. yeah. Like really fresh and uh, steamed Brussels sprouts are gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, any uh, weird Christmas food? Do you have uh, Bailey's cornflakes in the morning or you one of those people eat salmon every Christmas day morning? No, like we're not big Christmas people. So normally we just kind of get up, I'll have my get cereal. <laughs> yeah, get drunk. Well, this Christmas especially because like there's nothing else to do. I did, however, 
I think I will make this a tradition that I started right. doing this year. Um, do you know the way you can get the milk foamers and it makes the milk oh, yeah, at home yeah, like yeah, they do yeah. in like insomnia or yeah. whatever? And I've been putting in the milk, um, galaxy hot chocolate, Oof. but one of the small bottles of Bailey's and mixing it in the milk nice, foamer. Nice. Unreal. I had one the other night and it was um, the orange Bailey's mini bottle. Oh. FYI, you can get them in little, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> at the moment. And Other forms of Irish cream are available. <laughs> Irish cream, yeah. yeah. Yes, Irish cream. And uh, yeah, it's so good. And I think I'm going to make that my tradition because it was it was out of this world. It was so foamy and thick. And then you get that little kick at the end. Beautiful. Nice, nice, nice. Today, today's story is uh, from uh, the lovely Sarah. Uh, Sarah is a fine storyteller. Um, I said that really weird. Sarah, a fine storyteller. She's a fine storyteller. Uh, she's both fine and a storyteller. <laughs> Sarah is a great storyteller. We love to hear from Sarah all the time. Uh, her tours are high, very high energy. Yeah. Uh, t- her entrance, especially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah Sarah's is like. Sarah's tour is like being on stage in an Irish panto. I was about to say yeah. it is like panto when she comes yeah. into the room. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's brilliant fun. It's brilliant fun. Um, da, da, da. So Sarah's story is from County Cork. It's called The Magic Spring. And we're going to play it for you right about now. There was once a kingdom in a valley between two large mountains. And this valley... It was so beautiful and people would come from miles around because they heard there was a beautiful spring. It was a spring of water. It was the most crystal clear water in all of Ireland. It was magical. People, when they saw the water, they became transfixed. Even just to see it was magical. But they just dreamt of tasting it. They would dream of tasting this pure water. But the king would not allow anyone drink the water. He allowed one person to go near the water and fetch it for him and all of the the dignitaries, all the lords and chiefs of Ireland. And that person was his daughter. He named his daughter Fear Ishka. Now, the daughter was a kind princess and she would often sneak some water to all the onlookers and all the servants. And sometimes if she was feeling really bold, she would sneak a bit for herself. Now, when her father found out about this, he was furious and he locked up the spring. He made rows of stone all around it and a roof. And there was a door of stone. But there was a little lock in the door and a golden key. And he gave this key to his daughter. Now, he would have the key on himself at all times, but when he wanted some water for himself or for others, he would give the key to his daughter, the only one he trusted to go and fetch water, the only one that wouldn't betray him. Even though he, you know, she kind of already did, but that's not, that's besides the story. Now, one day, there was a beautiful ball, a banquet, and that banquet was for Fierishka. It was her coming of age day, and he wanted all the chieftain's sons of Ireland to come and, uh, you know, make their case of why they should marry his daughter. And they all arrived, all these splendid, fabulous men, some of them very attractive, 
some of them not attractive, but very powerful, which was far more attractive than being physically attractive back in those days. And Fiorishka, well, she was very bored. But then she noticed a man come in. This was a prince, and he was from, you know, the north of Ireland, and he was very handsome. He'd short brown hair and a, a big bushy, big, big bushy beard. And she'd never seen someone with a beard that big before. And uh, listen, turns out she liked beards. And the two of them started chatting. They started to hit it off. And he asked her to dance. Fierishka was delighted. And she looked into his eyes as they danced. And they laughed as they stepped on each other's feet. And they talked about you know, his homeland and what it was like. And she told him about the beautiful valley where she'd lived and told her about her interests. And he told her about his horses and, you know, about he secretly was scared of horses. It was all a bit of fun. But he noticed something in her eye. There was a fear. And he noticed that she kept looking back at her father. And he asked her, what's wrong? And she says... Nothing. I just know. My father is going to ask me. He's going to ask me in front of everyone to fetch water. And, well, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of you. And the prince laughed, said, No, nonsense. Your father wouldn't treat you like a servant, not in front of all of your suitors. He would not do that to you. And then just as he finished that sentence, the king... Her father bellowed in front of all of the crowd, demanding fear Ishka come up before him immediately and fetch water from the well. Now, all of her suitors, well, they stared at her. They were rather embarrassed for the woman being treated like that by her father. And fear Ishka was mortified. The very thing she knew would happen happened. And she stood her ground and screamed at her father. I will not be treated like this. I will not do as you ask. And her father stood up from his throne and demanded his daughter do as he say. And she knew there was no hope. There was no choice. She snatched the key from his hand. She went and fetched a pail, a pail of bucket. And, well, she went out of the castle with tears in her eyes, with anger in her step. She walked towards the spring. She used the golden key to unlock the door and she opened it. But she did not realise, she did not hear, through her own tears, she did not hear the prince running after her. She did not hear his cries begging her to stop, to not do it, to not be treated like this by her father. But it was too late. Because fear Ishka had already unlocked the door. And when she opened the door, and when she got the pail and plunged it deep into the water, suddenly the water arose. It erupted. It suddenly engulfed the entire courtyard. The prince tried to run. He tried to swim to fear Ishka to save her, but she had already been dragged under the water. He quickly turned around and he tried to get to the palace. He burst into the door. He screamed, cried out, Everyone get out! But it was too late. The water behind him rushed in. It quickly engulfed the entire ballroom. Everyone in that ballroom was struggling, struggling to get out, but they couldn't. 
the water continued to rise and rise higher and higher and engulfed all of the palace. And that formed a lake. And that lake is still there today in Cork. And if you are in Cork and if you find a beautiful lake with crystal clear water in between two hills, two mountains, and if you are just so lucky and if you look in this lake and if you see a golden key or perhaps a pail, that might be the lake from this story. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. That was a beautiful story and we were very happy to hear it. Very happy indeed. Um, what springs to your mind? What's your very first impressions, Lady, when you hear that story? Um, any story that is an Irish story to do with folklore and has water in it is always something that I take to because I feel like there's always something enchanting going to happen in the story. So as soon as she mentioned spring, we knew something was going to go down. We knew something peculiar or otherworldly, spiritual was going to happen within the water. So, yeah, um, I was I was thinking because water, obviously, clear water is very important in in earlier times because there isn't Ireland is a very wet country the the drinkable water is very tough to find mm. so they put a lot of um, it might seem it's only water to us but to them clear yeah. water from a spring yeah. clear drinkable water was very appropriate and that you could drink from clear spring water as well you would be able to consume some type of wisdom that was not of this world but it was of the other world of the fairy world that you would get a supernatural kind of wisdom from drinking this spring and it was kind of novel and strange them that they wouldn't have to worry about getting sick from drinking from the water and that's, that's very important people often laugh when they read about the diets of ancient people you know like Queen Elizabeth having beer for breakfast and that kind of thing why would you have beer at breakfast time that's a bit silly Well, but not if, in this year it's not <laughs> but if you've known yeah that's true <laughs> not, in, not in current uh, in the current climate yeah well if you've no clean drinking water handy mm-hmm. then uh, beer is probably the safest thing that yeah, you could drink yeah the cleanest thing you can drink yeah so clear spring water like that would be very important to them, because there was a, a there was a spring near us in Valley Longford, and uh, even though people had running water into their taps could boil the kettle, that kind of thing, people always said, "Oh well, the water from that spring is very nice now, and isn't it our local water?" And we we'll go mm. and we'll get a bottle of it, and they'd be they'd be adamant. Uh, that it was a different taste to the water and that it was somehow better water mm-hmm. yeah. so the importance of, of water to people and how water was special is, is something we kind of underestimate in modern times because mm-hmm. we can just turn on the tap we can just yeah. turn on the tap uh, the king in it is, is pretty mean uh, not sharing this uh, great commodity with his people and you have to imagine that it was a very brutal time 
mm-hmm. uh, that a king could get away with that. Our leaders couldn't. Well, you remember the water charges scandal years ago. There yeah. is a, a version of this story where it actually says that um, the king forced his laborers to go out and build a wall around the spring. And what comes to mind? People who <laughs> like to build walls, our very own cheese puff over in the USA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, building walls around our sp- the spring to keep uh, the the peasants out was is you know be shocked. It must have taken a serious force of arms, lots of soldiers and soldiery mm-hmm. to to stop people from rebelling and uh, kicking the king out so that they could have this beautiful water. Mm-hmm. And what did you think of the treatment of the daughter? I didn't think it was that severe. I mean, she's being told what she... <laughs> I didn't think it was. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of that status of back in the day, that's the relationship of what it would have been between a king and a yeah. daughter. But he does show compassion in a sense that he understands that he is embarrassing her by telling her to go on her own so she gets to bring the suitor with her so right. there is a kind of understanding on her behalf from her father that this isn't something that she wants to be exactly doing at the same yeah. time yeah I, I'm of the same mind as you just just fetch some water every now and then yeah um, it's not that it's not that uh, it wouldn't be that embarrassing I suppose when I think of my own uh, childhood and how parents usually put their children to work yeah. doing one thing or or another uh it's your your chores or your job it's it's not that bad but there is also if she's a young uh, teenager you know what how much young people how much store they put into into appearances mm-hmm. into the optics of the situation Here's here's a room full of uh, marriageable boys, boys that she might like and marry. And here's this very handsome man with the, this very beautiful beard. And she's like, oh, I don't want to be embarrassed mm-hmm. in front of them. We all remember that moment yeah. as a teenager, you know. Where, Where you don't want your parents to collect you from the disco. You want to walk home. Exactly. Because you don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. Them coming up and beeping and you having to get into the car. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> So in 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 that way, it, the the story kind of reflects strangely uh, home life, yeah, or what your life is growing up, in many ways. I don't think there has been even over the last however hundreds of years much a shift in that perspective. It has very much still. Even you watch Shakespeare plays; it's still the exact same thing that we're going through right. today. Yeah, you know. Yeah, teenagers don't want their parents to know what's going on. Yeah. Well. Also, with the that she's getting the water from a well, as well. Wells are so important in Irish storytelling. Fun fact for the <laughs> listeners: Ireland has over three thousand holy wells or magic wells all over the country. We have the most out of any other country in the world. And I was actually looking up a story because she takes a golden chalice. Right. And she goes down and she scoops up the water. There is a very, very similar story up in Lockley in County Cavan. Right. Where, and I was thinking, well, how is this a magic well or a magic spring? What makes it magic? And I was kind of yeah. looking into how do springs or wells become magic? What makes one? Yeah. And the, there was a great story up there that in a pre-Christian Ireland, there was a sacred pool that these priests used to go into and they used to bathe in this pool 
Right. And um, there was a, a goat herder, I don't know what you'd call her, a woman kind of yeah. herding goats and sheep. And she saw over the horizon that there was an army coming. So she got her apron, she began to put all these huge stones into the apron and she started throwing them at the sheep and throwing them at the, the goats. And so they stampeded and ran down because the priest was outside with the golden chalice and he was holding it up, he was saying mass. Yeah. And so he saw this stampede, gave him the notification <laughs> that something was actually happening. The woman was giving him a signal. So he got this golden chalice that was very sacred to the yeah. area and he threw it into the well. Yeah. And then thus became this really, really famous um, well. And it became magic because this really high up priest in this ranking had threw it into the well. Back home, uh, there was um, someone had been throwing uh, turf into the fire and they threw in a really big sod okay. at turf. And the turf split open and inside was a small chalice. Really? Yeah, yeah. You can imagine what that would be like. To, uh, that can give you a shock yeah. to throw a sod of turf into your open fire and for it to split open and there to be a chalice from however many hundred years ago you inside would, it you wouldn't know what would kind of pop up here with all the archives of things that would be buried all over the country so surprised but not surprised at the yeah. same time that something like that and would the, actually there's always up. someone invading and there's always yeah. someone coming to get you so you're always going I'll I'll, I'll bury this yeah I'll bury <laughs> it or I'll chuck it into the bog in a bag yeah and sure it'll be fine there until I come back but of course you don't come back because you're either dead or you've forgotten about it yeah um, there's quite a lot of magic either springs or lakes or islands in Cork in general it's quite lucky in that regard because yeah. you have the, the story of Bottle Hill you have the Enchanted Lake there as well yeah. That he throws the two magic balls into. Right, right. Down in Cork. That just came to mind there. You've turned an oak mm-hmm. off the coast. So you're very lucky down there in Cork, guys. You've a lot of a lot of sacred wells, a lot of sacred springs going on. Yeah, and I, I really do think it comes from the from this obsession with water comes with from the fact that you need clean water mm. to drink. And that it must be special and that you'd want the gods to give you clean water yeah. or you'd come around the bend in the road and find a crystal clear spring and you'd say oh it's a miracle something has been given to me mm-hmm. and now I have clean water to drink when I'm so very very thirsty mm-hmm. um, and the saints become associated with the wells after the gods are gone yeah yeah. there's that there's the story about St. Patrick and the Crozier and the Holy Well where the, the king wants to become Christian uh, and he sends for St. Patrick to perform the baptism. But he's very aware that the rest of his kingdom will remain pagan. Mm-hmm. So they perform the the baptism in front of the, the holy well. So as far as the peasants are concerned, um, he's bowing down in front of the entranceway into the home of his gods. Mm-hmm. And St. Patrick can perform the baptism. But St. Patrick has a crozier and with a spike on the end of it Mm -hmm. and he drives it down into what he thinks is the ground beside the well but is actually the king's foot it goes through the foot it goes straight through the foot and uh, he doesn't cry out or so much as make a peep the king and when St. Patrick has finished the baptism he's like why didn't you say something the king is like I thought it was all part of the ceremony oh okay yeah so it, it, it was that tough kings in ancient Ireland were that tough you also get the sense as well that at the end when she does 
Fjörska goes down to, to get the water, that you get nature rebelling back against the fact that you've taken something from the well. Yeah. The same with the story of uh, River Bran. Yeah. When she goes down to, because you have to have a three cup bearers, yeah. um, named after the River Boyne, and she goes down. She goes with the three cup bearers, but she decides she wants to test the power of the mm. Well of Wisdom. Mm. Goes down, begins to bathe herself in it, and yeah. if the water begins to rise and rise, and following her all the way out to sea, eventually killing her. Same thing with the water rebelling against. Yeah, yeah. Taking it. You have kind of Danu as well as a, a kind of egalitarian goddess in the sense that um, you shouldn't be hoarding something that she has given to you. Mm-hmm. So of course she's going to punish you if you're if you're greedy about it, yeah. and it's just you're keeping it for yourself rather than it being shared out with everybody because she's all about fertility and giving out everything to everyone. And then, of course, the other god gets involved, Crom Crew, Crom yeah. Dove, and everybody has to die. Um, so. but it's, it wouldn't be an Irish story if multiple, yeah. if not everybody, died within the story. Exactly right. And uh, uh, the, other, the other story that springs to mind is the, the Horned Women. It, it's the only story I've heard where the well actually talks to you mm-hmm. and gives you advice. Where the, the, the witches say to the to the woman of the house, the Vanantee, to go out and get them some water to make a cake. Mm-hmm. But they give her a sieve. So she's like, I can't get the I can't get the water into the sieve and get it to stay there. Yeah. Uh, so the the well talks back to her and tells her that the best way is to, to coat the inside of the sieve with soil, with clay, yeah. and then the water won't fall through it. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's one of the stories where the water talks back to you, like uh, with the clay as well. There's in some of the stories in Irish folklore, the clay or the plaster that would be underneath the lake, or the spring that the water's in would be considered um, that it can cure skin diseases, that it yeah. can cure scurvy. So people would go on these ex all around Ireland to go to these very specific areas where they would dip poles down into the very bottom of uh, the Enchanted Lake up on the west coast of Ireland. It was said that people would get these long, huge pieces of wood and they would try to dig up pieces of the bottom of the lake to bring out. And then if someone had... It was normally for a type of skin disease, scurvy or something, they would bring and they would rub onto the infected area that had a boil or a really nasty cut. And it was said that because it was from this enchanted lake yeah. and this lake was belonged, this particular one, to a fairy woman who lived on the bottom yeah. of the lake. So it was fairy magic. And if you were to rub it, the fairy magic would then rub onto your skin and, and it would cure you. You still get some of that. You still get, like the bog soil is used in skin products uh, back home. Uh, but it's all very professional now. They're yeah. isolating the soil from the bog and looking at what the chemicals and they're using it to treat things like eczema yeah yeah so uh there's there's wisdom in this story it teaches us about what it's like to be a teenager uh it teaches us the value of clean fresh water uh, it, it teaches fathers as well to be more understanding of their daughters mm-hmm. and it teaches you know uh, leaders of men and women uh, not to be greedy not to keep things for yourself so mm-hmm. I think this is a very valuable story yeah 
in many ways. I like a story where nature comes back in the end. Yes. Yeah, when <laughs> nature gets the last hurrah yeah. at the very end. Yeah. But there's also that that they're stuck at the end and they remain to be continuously dancing at their ball. That's a huge theme throughout a lot of stories oh, yeah. of people continuously always living and always being in the other world and yeah. until someone gets the golden chalice or the golden it's always something yeah. gold <laughs> then they will be stuck there forever yeah punishment for punishment greed. yeah the fairies don't do greed lightly ladies and gentlemen no the fairies no. don't handle greed lightly uh they sure don't and uh, now there's a christmas message for you yeah. <laughs> the fairies don't handle greed very well so be very careful this christmas it's a christmas quite unlike any other uh, this year and uh, i myself and lenny uh, here we are uh, we hope you have a very safe and very happy christmas in these unprecedented times uh, lenny uh, would you like to find a word be safe be seen as I always say when I leave this job every day everybody be safe be seen have a good Christmas and um, we shall see you on the next one I'm sure